Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. And our tactics guy and fantasist, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. I'm just copying my CV into the running order now. Good, good. It's important that you do. It's very important that you do. <laughs> Uh, we don't have a commercial partner this week, so what I said we'd do in those instances is that we would partner with with charities, and we've done just that. So this week we're partnered with the National Autistic Society, which is the UK's leading charity for autistic people and their families. They have been providing support, guidance and advice since 1962, as well as campaigning for improved rights, services and opportunities to help create a society that better works for autistic people. I've just spoken to Jack Howes, who is a fundraising manager for the National Autistic Society. And many of you will know him from Twitter. He's uh, he's quite a well-known Coy's Twitter personality. Debaser92 is his handle. He is a very lovely person. It's a Pixies reference. Yes, it is a Pixies reference. In fact, his, his Discord handle is also a Pixies reference, which is... <laughs> I cool. like him. Consistent, consistent. Um Jack is fascinating. The conversation that we had will be tagged on to the end of this podcast. Uh, Two things that I learned from Jack were that at least one in 100 people are autistic, which means there are at least 700,000 autistic people in the UK, although it's likely to be much higher. People are just undiagnosed. And also, and this is shocking, the life expectancy of an autistic person is 16 years less than a non-autistic person. That's that's mad. That should not be the case. There's no genetic reason why that should be the case. That is simply societal. Um, so yes, if if um, like me, you, you didn't know that much about autism, I strongly urge you to go and have a look at uh, autism.org.uk. Um, have a read about autism and neurodiversity and understand what life is like for autistic people. I also wanted to give a cheeky shout out to our friend Greg Jenner. Uh, Greg, who I've spoken to on the podcast a couple of times before, is is a fantastic person. He has a history podcast, which is on BBC Sounds called You're Dead to Me. It's brilliant. Uh, it's coming back. So they've got Stephen Fry in episode one. That is like a a seriously big deal, you know. That's that's national treasure level, isn't it, Stephen Fry? That's that's a big hitter. Um, make sure you you subscribe to um, You're Dead to Me. Uh, check it out on BBC Sounds. Um, we've had an uptick in listeners recently, what with Spurs doing a bit better. Um, so hello to our new listeners. Um, Bardi, what can new listeners expect from this podcast? 
Well, there's uh, quite the back catalogue of um, of videos, scouting. They really want to have fun. They can go back a year and look at the Good Manager se- series. Hmm. There's um, podcasts with um, with sports psychologists. There's podcasts with coaches. There's loads of banter on Discord, which is which is fun. You know the Discord if you if you don't know what it is. And um, what else is there? There's articles. I love it when Bardi talks about the Discord because he he doesn't know what he's talking about, and it's hilarious <laughs> to see him try and style it out. There's, there's channels and there's groups and there's people yep. running around talking about things. Um, I see, you got it. Threads go missing all the time. I don't know where they go. Then they come <laughs> back again. Um, I just discovered one today where you can make emojis and things. So that was interesting. Yeah, I, I, I go in there and I feel like a boomer. And uh, But it's good fun. It's all good, wholesome fun in there. So it's a nice place. There's a comment later on in the running order about Discord. But ah. it's just a um, good group of people. And yeah, as I said, there's loads of the back catalogue stuff to catch up on. And there's there's more coming. And it's good that people have, have started to come back. Conte, he's, he's doing wonders, not just for Spurs, but for us. <laughs> yeah, dri- yeah, driving listeners our way. If yeah. you're one of our seven Man United fan listeners, go and sign up to the Patreon to watch my Eric Ten Hag video from, yeah. <laughs> from a year ago. It's true. Sign in for a month, have a look, and then then go away. That's what I'd do. That's what I would do if mm. if I was if I was a little a little uh, tight and just wanted to dip my toe in the water. Sign up for a month, binge all the content, cancel it straight away. Job done. Um, the reality is that most people end up staying because they get addicted to the Discord and don't do any work anymore. <laughs> That's clear from most of our Discord users. Um, we've got so much to talk about. There's, I mean, weirdly, there's there's no matches happening and yet there's lots of Spurs discussion points. Um, so we'll start off with uh, Bastoni, I think, again, and the defence. The Bastoni rumours seem to have died down. Uh, it seems as though he's most likely staying um, at Inter. Charlie Graham says, it looks like we're not getting Bastoni, which I'm disappointed with. Can't win them all, but he and Romero would have been cheat code levels either side of Dyer. It looks like Pau Torres might be lined up, but I just can't get excited about him. Granted, my knowledge is from YouTube, so very limited, which is why I'm asking the team with knowledge to make me excited about this potential signing. Why would he be good? Will he fit the Prem? How far behind Bastoni is he in terms of quality? Help me. I mean... I just before we get into Paul Torres, I think there's there's an important thing we need to remember here with Inter that it's still really early, man. It's only the 13th of June as we're recording. Inter need to write, Inter need to raise 60 million euros along those lines. Inter have plans to sign Dybala. They have plans plans to re-sign Lukaku. There's no way that they can get these deals done without selling somebody. Now, unfortunately, all their big players, Barella's untouchable, Bastoni, uh, Martinez, all these guys have turned around and said, I don't want to leave, I don't want to leave, I don't want to leave. So they've all played a very clever game that they won't be held responsible if they are sold. But somebody has to be sold. I was listening to a podcast with our friend Nima and a very well-respected Inter journalist. And he was talking about Inter selling players like Gagliari Yadini, Pianamonte, Sensi, these kind of guys to raise 60 million, but it's impossible. They can't. They will have to sell somebody. It just depends who. Um, It could be Dumfries, but then they would have to replace Dumfries. So um, we have to see what happens. I still think there's legs to this. Um, I still wouldn't be surprised to see something happen or us force their hand with Bremer or something else like that. So I've not given up on this yet. So we can talk about Pau Torres now, but I, I've not given up. Inter will have to sell one big here this summer. That's, that's guaranteed. Nice. He got me all excited again now. <laughs> uh, Nathan, Pau Torres, what do you make of him? Pau Torres. Um, 
So the question is to get the get get the get the listener excited. Okay, so Pau Torres has um a really incredible ability to read the play. Um, so he's more of a passive defender than than an aggressive defender, which for me means that he would be more suited to the central role. But we're looking at him to play the wide role. Yeah, I think he could do that. Um, and on the ball. Like he has everything that you could want from both roles. He has the long passing um, from the central role. He has the short and middle distance passing. He can do the carrying. He's really skillful on the ball and under pressure. Um, he really is one of the very best center backs in the world until the ball is in the air. Um, he he um, he jumps weird. <laughs> he seems so much lighter than his frame would make him be. He can't get any clearance. He doesn't approach uh, aerial battles in a way that makes sense. He gets like up underneath the ball and tries to like vault. <laughs> I don't know. Um, he's got better. He's got a lot better. Certainly statistically, he's got a lot better. Um, in the last season, he's he's risen. Um, statistically from being abominable to like a bit below average, but still by the eye test, you watch him. He just looks a bit rough. Um, so I don't know. There's clearly strengths and weaknesses there. It's um, it's a matter of how if you think that he is like continuing to improve, continuing to improve in that weakness, and therefore this guy's going to be the best centre back in the world next season. You should get him um, if he continues to work on his on his on his aerial dual game. If you think that Conte can help him in that area, if you think we can set up to mitigate him in those areas somehow, maybe the wide centre back role doesn't have to do that much in the air. I'm not sure, um, but yeah, I I'm I'm kind of dubious um, for for that concern to be honest. Can this be something that is coached into him? Because I remember PK when he was at Man United, he was he was appalling in the air and kind of got a bit better in the air. I mean, I, d- I definitely think that there are some like technical and mechanical elements to his his. It's not just like I don't know. He's he's got concrete feet. Like there's got to be like again, like I said, like he. He doesn't angle himself into them well. He he arrives at where the ball is too early rather than waiting for the ball and meeting his path with it. Um, I don't know, you know, if we can work on what he's doing with his arms. I would, yeah, for sure, I would be interested in getting, you know, uh, uh, a gymnast, uh, an Olympic jumping coach, you know, someone who knows what they're doing in that area to 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 help him Um with that kind of stuff. And I'm sure that there are, are easy and significant improvements to be made there. Maybe he's just, I don't know, weak through his core. Um, and, and uh, you know, and, and stuff can be done there, but it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a risk if you're going to bring him in for those reasons. I, I do kind of think though, that if that were possible, if it were just as simple as, you know, you've been done. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. Um, but, Burnley got relegated. We don't have to play them anymore. It's fine. Sign him. <laughs> I was going. I was going to say that the change in style of the of the Premier League it, is it's apart from Liverpool, who are proper cross spammers. Are there any other teams who 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 spam crosses in as much as like Burnley, Stoke? These guys have all gone now. <laughs> Us. <laughs> Us. Yeah, are we cross spammers? Uh, us next season, especially like this season, yes, but next season when um, so two things are going to happen, right? We're going to bring in Perisic, who is a huge volume crosser, and um, we're going to improve our ability to play out under pressure, which means more teams are going to sit back against us, so we're going to resort to crossing more. <laughs> we're going to be putting up, you know, what, what is it? What did David Moyes United put up against Fulham? Like eighty crosses in a game. We're going to be averaging eighty crosses <laughs> in a game. Um, Emerson Royale did a, an interview with um, 
Portuguese podcast. Maybe we'll talk about it. Or Portuguese language Brazilian podcast. Um, and maybe we'll talk about it later. But he mentioned about, um, and he's obviously not the first player that he mentioned about the, the physical challenge of going from from La Liga to Premier League. He uh, does he mention Bernie by name? I think he does. He mentions uh, Burnley yeah, in yeah. terms of um, strength and move yeah. from one game to the next. But Burnley aren't the only physical team in the Premier League. It's it's it's. I think it's over overplayed the differences between the leagues, but it's clearly not uh, non-existent. As we talked about with Brian Hill before, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Paul Torres reminds me quite a lot of a former Spurs defender. Can you th- imagine who that might be, Nathan? Foyt. No, Jan Vertonghen. I think he's very. Vertonghen, in the way he moves, in his the way he comes out of defence, in the way he turns on the ball, the way he faints, um, in the way he reads the game, uh, nicks in front of, uh, of of strikers. The only thing is Vertonghen was pretty reliable in the air. He was good in the air. I mean, I think having Dyer alongside you helps. Dyer's strong in the air, you know, not not excessively so, but he's pretty he's pretty good in the air. He's pretty reliable. Um, but I would suspect that a Pau Torres and Ivan Perisic left side would be targeted. There's there's not a huge amount of aerial prowess there. Is he a left footer, Torres? Uh, I yes. think he's kind of both footed, but yeah, primarily left. Oh, is he? He's not someone who like looks awkward when they have to move on to their uh, opposite side. Let me see what um, FPRF says about his footedness. Uh, 88% left footed, which okay. that sounds incredibly high, but for a centre-back, it's actually not that extreme. Okay. Um, Tomori, did he play on the left side at the weekend? He seemed to, he played on the left side of England's back four. I did not watch the game. I I kind of did, and uh, I can't remember. Yeah, but, maybe, probably. Think, let's just go by Tomori. Tomori's so good. So good. He's a really good player. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think... Yeah, why not? By Tomori. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, by Tomori, yeah. yeah. Um, could Davis cover central centre-back, says Jamie T.? Uh, okay, so again, there's the he, Davies is decent in the air. I think he certainly does well for his height. Um, but I think the central centre back role has the most uh, onus on them to be good in the air, and, and I would worry about Davies there. Uh, Davies doesn't really have the long passing game that you want no. in that role. No. Um, and you would also be mitigating his ability to carry the ball up the pitch um, if he was playing in the central role. So I think um, could he play it? Maybe, kind of, but I think it's a it's a very poor use of his of his strengths and weaknesses. I agree. I think you know Ben Davis's in possession skill set is is driving forward with and without the ball, and also that kind of um, firm ball inside into midfield. He's really good at that, which he he wouldn't be able to do from the central centre back. The kind of angled ball from left to centre. Uh, as you say, his long passing game um, is, is not a strength of his, so I'd be slightly concerned about that. Um, Daniel Sermon says, if Bardi thinks that Ben Davis only eats boiled chicken with no seasoning, how does Bastoni enjoy his chicken? I'm very interested to hear Bardi's in-depth response. You, you know, this is the problem with um, with England, with certain parts of England and, and the US. I might as well just go after everybody here. That, <laughs> that you guys just think by adding seasoning or flavour, it's like deep frying something or, or um, drowning it in, in a sauce that comes straight out of a bottle that's full of sugar <laughs> and salt. You can achieve balance and taste by um, by not being absolute animals. Like, I imagine I imagine Bastoni when he sits down after after a, a strong like, kind of cardio session with perhaps some weight in there. He'll sit down and maybe 
maybe have a chicken milanese, maybe a little chicken breast, deep fried, a little bit of breadcrumbs, and then a side of pasta and a little side salad to go down. But he would take it easy on the salt and everything else. The, the tomato sauce would be made by using fresh tomatoes, fresh herbs, and all that stuff. None of this dolmio straight out of the jar business. Or I can imagine very northern Italian dishes when it's cold in Milan, because it does get cold, a nice chicken cacciatore, like which is a, a stew. I think he would eat sensibly seasoned food. Like you can season your vegetables and your salad with a little bit of lemon, a little bit of salt. You don't have to chuck Hellman's mayo or um what's that stuff you, you <laughs> salad like cream. Salad I cream. I, I don't like it one bit, it's awful. Oh. Well, maybe many of our listeners like salad cream. Just use a little bit of lemon, a little bit of salt. There you go. Or just use a teaspoon of olive oil. You don't need to drown food in in it. So, um, yeah, that's what I would say. Just be sensible with your seasoning and, and try to use natural seasoning and don't go to don't go straight to the jar or a bottle that can be squeezed. You've reminded me I've got some fresh herbs to plant. Wendy, can you tell me what the hell I'm meant to do after the podcast, please? <laughs> <laughs> I can handle that one. Thank you. Uh, I, lo- I love Bardi how you how you said um, you don't need to deep fry everything. And the first dish you came up with is a, is a deep fried chicken dish. But you can you can lightly fry it, or you can if you really want to be healthy use an air fryer. But um, yeah, it's just it's just don't deep fry all your food all the time, and try to make sure your plate isn't yellow. Like there's some, <laughs> there's some color. On it. <laughs> I went to I went to a wedding of a, of a family member and. Um, it was a buffet, and I, I'm not against buffets at weddings, but this one wasn't. This one was a, it. Well, wasn't great, and it just went there, and it was just a sea of yellow. It was maybe a four meter table. It was just pure yellow. It was just like oh my. <laughs> I quite regularly at the start of the week make up like a an olive oil, lemon, salt and pepper kind of salad dressing, and then just use that to dress my my side salads throughout the week. It's it's pretty good and it's easy. Very good, Wendy. You've been um, pretty active recently, so it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Paul Maslin also asks about Bastard. He says, if we sign Bastoni, we could be fielding a team next season whose manager came from Serie A. Two of the three starting central defenders come from Serie A. One of the two holding midfielders came from Serie A. And at least one of the starting wingbacks, plus one of the three starting attackers, come from Serie A. Have Spurs ever recruited so many players in such a short time span from one European league? Have we ever raided Serie A to this extent? Has any Premier League team done so in recent years? And if so, what were the results? I I can't think of anyone that's done that. Can you? Um, I can't. I think we've we've dipped into the French market quite often. Um, maybe not if you think Aurier, um, Nkudu, Ng, Stambouli. Um, I'm sure there's some other French strikers and midfielders we've picked up. So we have gone uh, Ndombele. So we have gone hmm. to League on a few times. But I, I think Serie A at the moment is a really good proving ground. It's, it's very tactical. You've got coaches with some nice ideas. Um, the wages aren't that high. And at the moment, it's behind Premier League in, in many ways. So it, it is a good testing ground for a lot of these individuals. So I can see the common sense of, of Serie A on t- rather than always going to Bundesliga, which I think is a little bit weaker throughout. So, yeah, I think I, it makes sense. Plus, Baratici knows it really well. Mm, that's, that's the key point, I think. It's uh, familiar territory. Nathan, do you have any thoughts on whether buying solely from Serie A is something we need to be concerned about? No, I um, so I was just sort of speculating for a moment there. Uh, Serie A is really weird. It does a lot of uh, in-selling and not a ton of, of selling players out that much. Um, and obviously they've sold to us. I wonder if like, I wonder if it's because we have an Italian director of football and it's just like, it's a matter of like liaison, right? You mm. can get Italian players if you're, you know, calling him up on your iPhone 
with your wired earphones walking around the place <laughs> like several hours every day that's that's the way to get get good value out of italian well not italian but Serie A players mm-hmm. i do think it's got an issue as well with um juve can't sell any of their players for value to anybody else mm-hmm. and this and in turn unless they sell to juventus can't really do it so there is a problem there that they they can't really afford to to pay for the players i mean juve dip in and and raid fiorentina every couple of years but then you know, they can't really sell on those players anywhere else, so they kind of have to leave. Makes sense. So we come to the latest player linked with Spurs, um, which is, is certainly dividing opinion, and that is Richarlison, uh, a player who um, uh, <laughs> who seems to always be active in matches against us in one way or another. So in the last match, he got absolutely clobbered by Romero, which was hilarious. Uh, generally he spends a lot of time on the floor in matches against us and, and fans haven't been so keen on that but um, clearly a, a very talented forward I will start with this one from Rangadave who says rumours circulating say Richarlison would cost around 70 million euros can you think of another player who can back up our front three as effectively of a similar quality proven in a major league for a similar cost until hmm. uh, you added proven in a major league at the end <laughs> Um, so I floated on Twitter, um, Jean-Luc Scamacca, um, and, uh, well, my, my point is, was starting with like, um, Richarlison is obviously a very good player, obviously Premier League proven, all those kinds of things. Um, I have some doubts about him fulfilling not multiple positions, but multiple roles, right? So he could definitely do Suns running in behind, but if he can, if, whether he could do Kane's hold-up play, um, passing in behind, target man in the box, that sort of stuff, I have significant doubts over. Mm-hmm. He can play centrally, um, but can he can he fulfill that sort of thing? Um, maybe he doesn't have to, right? Maybe you, you change up how you approach the game a little bit. Whereas uh, uh, Skamaka, like, he he's only ever really going to play central. He's not going to play wide, but he can maybe um, replace Suns running in behind and also replace Kane hold up play and stuff like that um similar kind of situation for uh odds on edward he can do kane sort of passing from deep and stuff like that and, and target man play um yeah i i do think there are a few options richarlison i don't know i, I is that sort of sticking point it's it's whether he can offer more than stylistic coverage for one role because also there's the third role which is which is Kulusevsky's role mm-hmm. which which Conte has made clear through his use or non-use of Bergvine is is not an out and out forward right he's he's the link player between attacking midfield he has a more sort of creative role I don't think Richarlison can offer much there the one player I would say who could play all three roles is Charles Catalere and he would be uh, exceptional in all three um, situations. He's not that great in the air despite his height, um, but he can offer the passing, the running behind, the creativity, the link up. Um, hasn't played in a major league. Might take a little while to adapt. That might not be our approach to next season, right? We don't want to adapt in time. We want to hit the ground running. So uh, maybe that's not right. So yeah, 70 million is a lot of money for Charleston, right? He moved for 50 to Everton uh, a few years ago. Um, he's a player I quite liked when he first turned up at Watford. And I was mm, like, oh, here's, a, here's, a, here's an interesting 
interesting wide player. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not like against the move. I just think that there are better options, better, at least better value. Um, obviously, it's not always about value, right? And this is a, a, a road that Spurs have trodden, right? We've looked value, looked at value, looked at value. And sometimes the most valuable thing you can do is spend an excess of money to improve the squad in a certain way and get an immediate result and a turnaround. And then you're in the Champions League or you win a trophy or whatever. Um, so I, I understand that reasoning. I just think Richarlison is... is uh, it's not £70 million pounds good, and, and maybe there are players who would be worth spending that kind of money on. Lautaro Martinez? Yeah, yeah. And he can... He probably profiles pretty similarly to Richarlison, to be honest, and has the same. Could he play? Could he fulfil any of what, what Harry Kane does? Um, but if he's going to be a little cheaper, then, then he's doing that, you know, for a little less. And it obviously has the familiarity um, with Quante and all that sort of stuff. He's a year younger than Richarlison as well. Not that that makes okay. a huge amount of difference, but yeah. it's it's something. Um, yeah, I I like Richarlison as a player. I think sort of 55, 60 million is is really an overspend on on him. Um, and of course, it's not my money, so I don't care about us spending money, but it's the opportunity cost, isn't it? It's the who else could you get for that money? It's... it's what money is left over on other signings and other positions. So um, Alex Isaac, uh, Ivan Tony, uh, maybe Arthur Cabral uh, and Bardi's best mate, Patrick Schick, are all players who can, can offer both sort of physicality in the box. He's shaking his head. He's not happy and, with the mention of Schick. And, and, and running and creating the depth in behind, which I think is, for me, that that's, that's where I've been looking, right? Because it, you're probably not going to bring in two different players Mm-hmm. Uh, one to be Kane's backup, one to be Sons, unless you're going to bring through Troy Parrott and Troy Parrott's going to be Harry Kane's backup and, and someone else is going to be Sons' backup. Or maybe it's a bit more fluid than that, but it, you do have faith in, in that actually materialising and Kane losing minutes to Parrott in any kind of way. Um, that means there's any sort of actual rotation. Um, I'm not too down on Richarlison. I, Skamaka, I'm not sold on him. I've watched him a few times now and every time I watch him, he has moments where he looks like the kind of Zlatan regen, nice flicks, nice touch. But then I just think his movement off the ball is awful. I don't ever see him making a run in behind or at least a, a sensible run in behind. Germany played a really high line against him and he was constantly offside. Against um, against England, I don't think he offered anything. Mancini even said after the Germany game that he was, he was broken um, and he couldn't even feature against Hungary. He just doesn't seem to have the legs. I mean, he's huge, man. He's an absolute... Mm. He's an absolute oak tree. And I, I'm just not sold on him. He scored some goals, but I don't know. If I was going to spend 50, 60 million, I'd be all right with spending that on Richarlison. Chuck in Delhi, chuck in Winks, cut that money down and get him. I think he offers us a little bit more. Um, yeah, the other names on the list, Patrick Stick. No, nah, man, please, please don't do that to me. <laughs> Have a word with him, Nathan. Um, so I'd be all right with Richarlison. He, we know he can score goals. We know he can perform in the Premier League. So I'd, I'd be okay with it. Really good presser as well. That's um, it's one of his strengths for sure. Yep. Yeah, I mean, we could do, we could do worse. Put it that way, we could do a lot worse. Uh, I I'm kind of like Nathan in that I can certainly see him covering Sondro. That seems like a really nice fit to me. But even if we spent seventy million euros on him, I still can't see Conte playing him through the middle. And for me, the absolute crucial signing in terms of a forward is someone who can take minutes from Kane and make sure that Kane gets 
all the appropriate rest. There, there was that report that came out last week that showed that Kane is one of like, was it five English players who essentially played too many minutes last year to, to a risky level um, yeah. from an injury perspective. We need Kane to not play as much. We had that conversation on the pod last week where I, I suddenly had the realisation that, yeah, Kane's going to play every minute, isn't he? Um, and I don't think signing Richardson changes that, to be honest. I think it's more important that we sign a, a more natural Kane replacement. Unless, as you say, Troy Parrott is really fancied, and I don't think we know that yet. I, I really guess. like Troy Parrott. I've got a lot of, I've got very high hopes for Troy Parrott, unlike a lot of Spurs fans. But we need to see how he has developed in preseason. We need to see what Conte thinks of Troy Parrott. We need to see him in amongst higher quality players to see whether he levels up his um, his ability. And then we decide whether he needs to go on loan to the Championship or whether he can um, start the season with the first team. I guess the thinking could be towards like. Um, Kane and Son are both off the pitch. Richarlison can play in a central role where he's mainly offering depth and behind, and then the left-sided role is something more supportive of something else, of a surpassing game or something else. Then we need to look for like a, a inside left, right-footed attacker, Ericsson <laughs> um, mm. or whatever. Uh, someone who I guess probably someone who profiles similar to Kulusevski or whatever. Um, so it's not like you couldn't find coverage that way at all. I just am not really sold on 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 it that way. I think Richarlison has he's coped well in, a, in an awful Everton team. Yeah, he carried them. Where True. yeah, where he's played through the middle when um, Calvert Lewin was injured, then he played wide alongside Calvert Lewin, and I, I I think it'd be fair to say he saved them. No, he kept them mm, up single handedly. Sure. He he scored a lot of goals and he offered them a lot. I I just I don't see this as as a bad thing. There's there are no... definitely worse moves out there for us mm. to make, right? Definitely. Such as not getting anyone in. <laughs> yeah, and I I think when we keep looking for the Kane replacement, Kane's such a unique player and such a yeah. such a world class individual that it's really difficult to find someone to replace him. Yeah, for sure. Um, Bardi, you are running the marathon. Yeah, it's uh, 16 weeks and until it starts. It's always funny. You get your training plan, and I looked at my 16 week training plan, all excited about it over the weekend. And day one is is, is rest day, so <laughs> and I don't do anything. But I, I did some stuff. Yeah, it's 16 weeks until the London Marathon. I'm running it for cancer research. One in two people are affected by cancer. I lost my my mother to cancer, and my dad got through prostate cancer. So I've seen it up close, and I know many people out there would listening will have been touched by cancer as well there's a few things i got planned for my my fundraising such as like my my apology pod people always say i never apologize so i'm thinking about doing an apology pod and for a small donation <laughs> i'll apologize for any of my takes but um i'll apologize for pretty much anything but i'll also do a, an apology on your behalf so if you've done something wrong or something stupid i'll i'll take the fall within the limits of the law obviously i'm not getting i'm not getting banged up for you so, for example, if Nathan's fiance trips over his guitar, I'll apologise for leaving that in a stupid place on, on it's his behalf. It's on the stand. You have to move the stand and the guitar out of the way if you're going to start moving things around the table, right? That's where it goes, over by the record player. So if anyone falls over it, Nathan, uh, I'll, take, I'll take the blame for that. I'm even contemplated joining the egg gang <gasps> i'm contemplating I, I i raised this with my wife three she, eggs they're three eggs i raised this with my wife if i hit three thousand pounds i might shave my hair Holy well shit. but i probably should if i hit three thousand my wife was just like what are you doing your hair <laughs> she goes to me like your hair is your selling point my unique thing i'm like i have so <laughs> I have so many, so many strings to my bow. It's not just my grey in hair. So maybe if I hit, if I hit three thousand pounds, I'll, I'll shave it off. It, it grows back now. Your, your hair grows really fast as well. Okay, so I'll, I'll shave my hair if I hit three thousand pounds, and we can, we can beat a free eggs for a while. Nice. 
I so, really don't want to do that. My wife doesn't want me to do it. So <laughs> it's really, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, there's some encouragement. And also um, Dan in the Discord is running it, the, running London Marathon as well, but he's fast as fuck, man. So um, yeah, I'm not looking forward to him beating me by about an hour and a half. <laughs> so we'll put the link for um, Bardi's fundraising in the, the notes of the mm. show and we'll tweet the link out as well. Uh, so if you, you have some spare pounds that you want to throw Bardi's way, that'd be very much appreciated. Um, on with, on with the questions. So in fact, this one's not a question. It's a, it's a comment. It's from Tatonka who said, I was reflecting today about our season. I've had many negative feelings about our side of play since Mourinho was around, but at least with Mourinho, there was a period of time in which we were winning games comfortably. I think around that time is when I joined the discord and commiserated with everyone on how we deserved better than that. The season started and Nuno Bull was just the worst. I really hated it. There was nothing going on, like, at all. It was a terrible feeling watching Spurs then. After that, things really turned around with Conte, our new signings. It's such a joy to watch the team play now. I can safely say that even in our losses, it was okay. I could see what we were trying to do. And there was a sense of daring, attempting to touch greatness, that even in our darkest times, there was some solace and hope. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, we appreciate that. I think it is amazing now. When, um, shout out to um, our friend John McKenzie for his um, his Conte video that we're actually being talked about as challenging Liverpool and City, yeah. and that is that is the Conte effect. Yeah, he, uh, he gave me a little bit of faith. I'm still I'm still really skeptical um, that 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 because that gap seems just so enormous. Right, that's the main thing. It's not about like can Conte make Spurs good enough to like get towards ninety points because I believe that he can. I'm confident in, in, in us being that good. Um, it's it's about that extra distance that's now created in the City Liverpool era. And he's given me some confidence, uh, a little bit, that that isn't quite as um, cosmic as it seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think um, if we sign well, we put ourselves in a position to, to lower that points gap. And then, you know, who knows? Mane's leaving Liverpool. They, they're going to have to, they're going to have to work out a whole new attack, attacking pattern because they've got very different players in Luis Diaz and, uh, and their new Uruguayan centre forward who I, Darwin Nunes, right? I've, I've not seen a great deal of. I've seen him in the, in the matches against Liverpool where he scored both times. Uh, but he's a very, very different player to what they've been used to. He offers limitations, right? His his technical game is is quite poor, so they there could be some some teething issues there. Yeah. So just saying, just saying. Let's be there. Let's be there to pick up the pieces should they fail. Uh, Jared Whedon says, taking out the results against Liverpool and Chelsea, how will Spurs next season pick up points from the likes of Southampton, Brighton, Brentford, etc.? Not specifically these teams, but teams in the bottom half of the table. If Spurs are to challenge for the title next season and with Conte and investment in the squad, I genuinely believe they can. How do we go about beating these sides? It's probably not just one thing, but I found it interesting to see where the points were dropped since Conte came in. And actually, this is um, what a lot of John McKenzie's video was focused on. It was kind of pointing out that since Conte arrived, the teams we're dropping points to are very different to the teams we were dropping points to under Nuno. And how does Spurs fix that? Well, the primary way of fixing that is is spending some money and upgrading the technical ability of the squad. Agreed. I think mm. um, because Southampton, Brighton, they they have a very similar style of play. So yeah, improving improving the players within our automations to make them more successful and be better. So a better um, ball playing left centre back, uh, a, a couple of better wing backs. We've already signed one, obviously. We looked like we're signing Jed Spence for the right. Uh, better substitutes to bring on. 
you know, if we sign Richarlison, maybe Son's your substitute who can come on in those games. And that's just ridiculous, having Son coming off the bench uh, in, in terms of some rotation. Um, and having Son taking free kicks might help as well, right? <laughs> I mean, there have been some dubious... The, the second one was miles better than the first one. Mm. But it's still some dubious goalkeeping on those, on those free <laughs> kicks. But it's, you know, it's on target. Kane was not even getting them close to goal. <laughs> Duncan Butcher says, Just had a podcast question inspired by a YouTube rabbit hole of the Spurs videos. While we have deep, under-recognised roots in the tactical side of the game through Arthur Rowe, Vic Buckingham and Bill Nicholson's pass and move being foundational to total football, are Spurs actually the ultimate vibes club? Our perpetually four pints deep fan base, setting our, <laughs> our own hair on fire club management and Poch and Conte's leadership su- styles suggest we're much more about surf- surfing all-consuming waves of emotion than demanding the game be played a specific way, especially when most fans have forgotten what Rowe and Nicholson's football was. Hmm. What do you think? Vibes FC? I think I think the two things are very strongly intertwined, right? That is the vibes of of aesthetic football uh, and the uh, the highs and lows of chasing that glory, right? I think so. I think in our recent history, that's absolutely. I mean, I'm thinking Harry Redknapp. Yeah, sure. there, there were a lot of vibes under Redknapp, but that was because it was kind of like handbrake off attacking football, pretty much at all times. Yeah, I think this is a really nice question and a really nice thing to ponder. Like Tottenham Hotspur, are unique because there's towns and cities and Uniteds throughout throughout England, but there's only one Hotspur, so that gives us a uniqueness. Plus, the everything that's happened to us in our history, and as someone who's been made very aware over the last week about our history, um, it's it's nice when you when you think about the impact that we had on on football and these guys, um, Buckingham especially. Um, I think he travelled abroad. I think he was the one that went to Ajax and and taught them a little bit about pass and move and, and football. And we, you could trace a lot of what Tottenham done to to the modern game. Even the bad side from becoming the first side, first team to um, list on on the stock exchange. So Tottenham have always been there. They've always been at the cutting edge of 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 things happening. And I think that's what does appeal to to fans when they're looking for a new team to support. We have we are a team that you can you know you're going to be there's going to be things to think about and talk about all the time. It's not it's not boring supporting Tottenham. 
<laughs> a little from column A, a little from column B, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's so the Spurs Arsenal rivalry, I would say, is definitely one of the more intense rivalries in in British football. So, um, Rangers Celtic, obviously, I think is the most intense. It's it's ridiculous, it's absolutely ridiculous because it's so much so tied to religion as well. Um, Arsenal Spurs is. <laughs> super, super, super aggressive. If you go to the North London Derby, you're going to see lots of grown men fighting. You're going to see at least lots of grown men trying to fight. You're, you're going to see people throwing coins across um, crowded spaces to try and hit fans of the the opposite team. It's vicious. It's it's really vicious. Uh, you know, it's vicious on the pitch often as well, but it's particularly it's particularly vicious off the pitch. Having said that, Ty's behaviour on the overlap was was just absolutely bizarre, completely and utterly bizarre. Um, he's a very peculiar person. Um, you know, it, it it wasn't a hostile environment, or it didn't need to be, and and he injected his hostility into it with his antics. Uh, and um, yeah, Bardi Bard, kept his cool really well in that. I've um, I've seen quite a lot from Arsenal fans this week, and they to be fair to them, they've they've repeated a lot of the same things, war a trophy and the rest of it. But to be fair, they haven't been that abusive. Like I know you were concerned, Windy, when the quote tweets started going up over two hundred, that things might get a bit dark. But it was all right. I think there was maybe two abusive tweets in a lot of them. The rest of them were just trophy, trophy, trophy stuff. So I I do think it's just abnormal behaviour from from their fan base. But I think that what makes Tottenham Arsenal quite a, a rivalry is the proximity between the two clubs. Like it's against the I think it's probably against the modern day rules and maybe even at the time to put two football clubs that close together because Tottenham were already an existing football club and then Arsenal moved into that area, which is something that shouldn't probably have happened because it was very distinct. This area is Tottenham, this area is Chelsea, this area is Arsenal. Arsenal were originally South London. So I think that adds to it as well. But it's nice to have this kind of um this kind of drama between the two teams. I hate the Liverpool Everton rivalry, the kind of friendly, the neighborhood game where they can sit with each other and watch it. It's nice <laughs> to have these this intensity to these games. And even in those seasons where nothing's happening for Tottenham, at least you know you're going to get two games that really, really mean something. And it's great when there's something on the line like there was this year about Champions League qualification. That that game was brilliant because of that, because it meant something. And then there was actual something on the line. Um I'm not sure about the US versus UK fan culture. I don't know enough about US fan culture. But I do think the overlap was mostly C. It was the abnormal behaviour from an individual. Yeah. Uh, Ty is um is like real and unreal at the same time, right? He's that people don't behave that way. Um, he is clearly either in need of help or putting on a significant act or or both at the same time, right? Um, and yet at the same time, he's also sort of the personification of like online behavior. Mm. Um, uh, the way that people act when they are, you know, separated by physical distance and and the internet. Uh, is that real? <laughs> well, people actually do it, right? So what's the difference between um uh yeah what you do through a computer screen versus what you're saying to someone's face or whatever it's kind of different and not different so um i mean he's 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 embarrassing to people of all countries right um but there is there is um the intensity does definitely exist in in sober environments as well just not necessarily in that form 
I do think he's he's a 52 year old guy who's found a a niche for himself in the world to make some money and uh, to sure. have a career. So I mean, I I sit here and I, I talk about food and Italian football, uh, whereas he sits there and just shouts trophies and what have you won. So maybe there's similarities. I'm comparing myself to Ty, but. Um, yeah, he's he's found a way for for him to make to make a living out of this. And when he turned up, he was in all black. And then just before recording started, he put all his Arsenal clobber on. So I do think there is a, a caricature to him. So that's really interesting that you just compared yourself to Ty because what Nathan <laughs> described is basically what you did this week. <laughs> you, you were you were deliberately goading Arsenal fans on Twitter. <laughs> I didn't. What happened was I. Harry Kane scored 50 goals for England and I don't support England but I think what Harry Kane has done deserves respect and it should be he needs to be treated better I know he doesn't need me to fight his battles he's, he's a grown man with millions of followers he doesn't need me but I felt compelled to have a look at this and I was just like he scored 50 fucking goals for this country and to just dismiss him as an idiot or as a crap footballer or as a tapping merchant I felt was really unfair so I thought how many goals has Arsenal scored as how many English players have scored 50 goals for 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 that for England that played for Arsenal and I started looking and barely anybody scored goals um, Walcott got 12 Welbeck got 8 Merson got 3 Adams got a couple and I was just like you're dismissing his achievements for no reason so I, I put that out there and I thought it might rattle a few but I didn't realise it would rattle that many I think it just got like well over a million impressions and so many replies and I, in the end I had to mute it because it was just taking up too much time to respond to everybody Listen I thought that I was the one who who was not right for social media that uh that you might learn from my previous experiences but it turns out that i need to remove both of your twitter passwords so no, if, you, if you could hand them in after the podcast that it was be good. fine it was manageable there was like nobody was abusive to me i had one person slip into my dms who just called me an idiot that was it uh there was no threats of violence there was no one offering to meet me down the high road because arsenal fans are all runners anyway so it was it was fine <laughs> Let's finish on this one uh, from Gumnut, who says, have you guys been watching Better Call Saul? I just binged the whole series so far in two months. Holy moly, what a brilliant show. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a couple of episodes behind, I think, still. Um, but yeah, I don't know. The, the, I, um, when Breaking Bad was in its final season, I was at university and it was like the topic of conversation every day. Um, it was a huge thing, watch parties, everyone waiting for a certain all that kind of stuff and i feel like better call saw is every bit as good if not better than breaking bad but they're yeah maybe yeah i'm I'm open to that argument definitely and there just doesn't seem to be the same big cultural thing going on um with it as well i I think it's as like it's my my favorite show is this is the show that i look forward to Mm. um yeah I agree. I, th- I think you have to give credit to Breaking Bad because obviously that's what set this up. Sure. I th- Breaking Bad is one of those TV shows. If you go back and rewatch it a second time, it's not very good because it's all set. It's brilliantly designed for binge watching once because the cliffhangers and what ha- else happens, but there's, there's no real depth to anything. What Better Call Saul does is it takes um, some really interesting characters from Breaking Bad and gives them a backstory and you find out more about them. I think the pacing in season one was a little bit slow for, for some people and I think that might have put them off but it's just got better and better every episode i i really enjoy it i'm looking forward to where it goes um i think there's um there's going to be an appearance from um from walter white and um 
Jesse is go- they're going to appear in it at some point I think within this season that's what's been talked about so I'm looking forward to that it's great TV and, and really worth watching mm, it is it's, it's absolutely sensational I think um, uh, Breaking Bad some of the characters are a little one dimensional in Breaking Bad sure. whereas in Better Call Saul you've got this incredible performance by Bob Odenkirk who is a, a former stand-up comedian who, who became an actor he plays this on the surface cartoonish character and he makes him whole. He makes him real. He makes him so broad emotionally. Uh, and every time you think you've got him figured out and pigeonholed, he, he surprises you. The writing is amazing. I, I think it's, I think Jimmy McGill is up there with Tony Soprano as, as one of the greatest ever characters in television history. It's, yep. it's, it's unreal. Also, um, Mike was really, his, his oh. character his character in Breaking Bad was really strange. Who is this guy? What his motivation is? And in this, he's brilliant. There's more to Gus as well. Hector Salamanca, his whole backstory. It's just so much better. The, the two chaps with the shoes that turned up in Breaking <laughs> Bad, they were very cool. But like, where did you just thought these up? You thought they would look good. But now you're finding out about who they are and what they get up to. It's, it's fantastic. But it, you can't, give credit to Better Call Saul without you have to give credit to Breaking Bad as well but I don't think Breaking Bad is, is anywhere near as good as Better Call Saul I think um, stronger female characters as well I think Kim Wexler is unbelievable as a, as a as a character so well portrayed as well whereas Skylar in Breaking Bad I liked but you know not in the same way like oh that's interesting i i feel like um i feel like kim is a resp- so skylar got um a lot of negative response out of out of fans right they didn't like that she didn't support walter white and all that kind of oh, stuff wow. right because because people aren't getting that like walter white is is not the good unsupportable guy. hero <laughs> yeah that sort of stuff but she's not you know she's not helping the cause that you know um, and that's just because people are taking a very surface level. Well, Walter yeah. White's the main character, therefore I want him to succeed, kind of thing. Um, which is sort of like the the trick of the show, right? That's kind of how it gets you because it wants you to lean into that way, but also deal with what that means. And I feel like Kim is sort of the response to that. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. you wanted the supportive female character who gets involved with the schemes, or well, this is what it's going to look like, and here and and I think the, the, the we're getting towards, and here are the consequences of that. Here's what that. Interesting. Yeah, I hadn't seen it that way at all. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, and the, the, so you're not up to date, so you've missed the episode with some with some oh, good God. Kim backstory. There's uh, okay, okay. It's really nicely done. It's there's delicately a, done, actually. There's a really nice quote from Huel in um, in Better Call Saul where he he just goes to uh, he goes to Saul like you're a lawyer, yeah, and he's like yeah, you make good money, yeah. That, why are you doing this shit? And I just thought it was a really nice line, and, and hmm. you could see Saul Goodman. He's like yeah, why am I doing this? And then it's Kim who's the the real instigator behind everything. It's so good. If you haven't watched Better Call Saul, just watch it. Do you think it's essential to watch Breaking Bad first? I kind of think it is. No, no, I, I think you can do them. You can do them um, in show chronology. That's what I'm doing with Mariam at the moment. It's quite like um, exciting though when something from Breaking Bad pops up in Betacool. So you'd be losing that. Uh, yes and no. I, I think you could probably watch it chronologically because there's you. They introduce you to all the characters, so you you find out about Gus. So Better Call Saul will introduce you to him, who he is. So you don't need to have watched Breaking Bad to know that he's a, he's a drug lord. I think uh, I think both ways work, and I think it's interesting to 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 like talk to someone who's seen it the other way. You know, mm. Mm. Uh, have either of you been watching Stranger Things? 
That's really no, good. No, I am waiting until Mariam has caught up with the previous three seasons oh, before goodness. we start the fourth one okay. together, yeah. I think the fourth season of Stranger Things is my favourite since the first. Oh, really? Okay. I think I, it's really strong. I agree. I think it's I think it's come back really strong. It's it's really different. It, I love the flashbacks and everything else. I think it's great. It's cool. It's really cool. Nice. So, um, all being well, assuming the audio works, what you are going to hear now is um, a recording of my conversation with Jack um, uh, about the National Autistic Society and about autism in general. Uh, we'll put some information uh, on the in the show notes about, about the website and how you can read more about autism. I'm delighted to be joined by Jack Howes, who is a fundraising manager for the National Autistic Society and also a Spurs fan, who many of you will know from Twitter. His handle is Debaser92. Um, Jack, it's great to great to welcome you onto the podcast. Thank you. I'm going to start off with a very broad question. So autism and neurodiversity more broadly are becoming more widely understood. But could you give us a bit of a rundown um, from layman's terms as to to what they actually mean? I'd love to. And uh, firstly, thank you so much for uh, inviting me on to such a fantastic podcast. Um, so autism is a lifelong developmental disability which affects how people communicate and interact with the world around them. And autism is very much uh, a spectrum condition. So it impacts people completely differently. Um, so, for example, some autistic people uh, are non-verbal or uh, in terms of speech, their communication is quite limited. Whereas someone like myself, I am autistic and I'm sufficiently verbose that I'm on a podcast talking about it with you. <laughs> so it varies wildly. Um, at the moment, approximately one in a hundred are autistic. Um, I think the true number of autistic people is a lot higher um, because it's very hard to get a diagnosis. So currently in the UK, the official figure is about 700,000. I think the real figure is much, much higher. But for various structural reasons, uh, the official figure uh, is about one in a hundred or so. Um, I think the important point to make uh, about autism and autistic people is that all autistic people are completely unique and very, very different. Because I think there is a tendency to regard all autistic people as not being the same. So to refer to football very quickly, um, last season uh, Celtic signed four Japanese players and offers four Japanese players, three of them are really, really good and helped Celtic beat a pretty good Rangers team to meet uh, to win the Scottish League title. And throughout the season uh, in Scotland, when discussing Celtic, people would talk about this player, that player, and another player. And they talk about the, their Japanese players uh, as if they're one homogenous group. Mm-hmm. And Celtic's um, very good manager, uh, Ange Postecoglou, he got irritated uh, at this. And in one press conference mid-season, when this came up, this, this came up as a, a discussion topic, he made a very good point that it, he understood why people spoke about their Japanese players as a collective. But all of their Japanese players are completely unique with their own personalities. They live their lives differently. And people should speak uh, and discuss their Japanese players as individuals, not as a collective. And that approach is completely the same with autistic people. They should all be supported and spoken about as unique individuals rather than as a group. 
because uh, in the surveys um, that the charity does, uh, we often hear about how almost everyone has heard of autism in some way, but their in-depth understanding is quite poor. And that often leads to autistic people uh, being incorrectly supported, uh, misunderstood. Um, and that usually impacts, you know, how they do at school, their employment chances, these difficulties socialising. Um, because autistic people, uh, these the statistics are pretty brutal. So I think only 29% are in employment and other three quarters want to work. 80% of autistic people have a mental health problem at some point in their lives. Um, autistic people's life expectancy is 16 years less than non-autistic people. And there's no genetic reason why that's the case. So it's a very long-winded definition of what autism is and how it impacts people. Um, but yeah, I think I encourage everyone listening to you know, look at the, uh, the National Autistic Society website, for example, try to understand autism better. And if they encounter an autistic person, you support them and understand them on their individual needs and traits. Mm. That's what I'd say. Uh, with, neuro, with neurodiversity, I think this is a term not discussed with much understanding online. It's a very popular term online, but I think the true understanding is quite poor. So neurodiversity essentially refers to differences in the brain and cognitive differences. So there are there are a number of conditions such as um, ADHD, OCD, dyslexia, dyspraxia, and they're not necessarily weaknesses, these conditions. They're simply different ways that the brain functions. And that's what neurodiversity is. It's an umbrella term for brains which work a bit differently. So the way I like to think of it is that imagine going to a wedding and seeing an amazing spread. Like there's all these bowls and plates with amazing bits of food on them. And essentially neurodiversity is you'll have ADHD in one bowl, OCD in another, dyspraxia in another. And increasingly actually, actually what we're finding is that it's quite rare for people to only have uh, one neurodiverse condition. So it's quite rare for people to only be autistic and have nothing else. Like most people will have ADHD and a bit of OCD thrown in, or they'll be autistic and be a bit dyspraxic at the same time. So uh, the technical term is comorbid, but yeah, um, neurodiversity is simply an umbrella term for cognitive differences. Oh my goodness, Jack, What that's incredible. The, the definitions you've just provided are so helpful. And I must say, you give Bardi a run for the for his money in terms of uh, a metaphor as well. Uh, very nicely <laughs> done with the wedding metaphor. I love that. That's so, that's so useful. And right at the start there, you used the term spectrum. Yeah. And um, so weirdly, someone, someone at work uh, mentioned to me, funnily enough, as they were leaving. So I used to manage them and they just mentioned it on their last day that um, actually they were being nice about my management style. They said that they'd always felt very supported, particularly considering that they are on the spectrum. Yeah. And they'd never mentioned that to me before. I didn't know. I I had some sort of... um, I had some inklings that that they their brain worked in a slightly different way, Uh, but it was never something that we formally spoke about. How do you feel about that phrase, on the spectrum? Um, I'm just thinking... It's something you hear quite a lot. People will say, oh, so-and-so's on the spectrum. You know, oh, yeah. don't mind him. He's on the spectrum. As as someone who's autistic, how do you feel when you hear someone use that phrase? Um, it's a, I feel conflicted. I mean, in a joking sense, I'm glad it's on the spectrum or not something more insulting. Yeah. Which it would have been back in the day. Um, and it's, and it's on the spectrum. It's a loaded term and it's not mm. really insulting. And I don't think people mean it in a negative way. Um, I think it can be used, because as I said, it's a loaded term, so I think mm. it can often be a catch-all term. 
people who are simply seen as being slightly odd or a bit weird. And I don't love that definition of it. Um, but as a whole, frankly, I think autistic people have to be defined in, they will be defined in some way. And of all the definitions that are out there on the spectrum, is by no means the worst one. Mm. So I'm okay with it. Um, other autistic people, though, will feel differently because I've said before, all their own thoughts on autism and their own preferences of how autism is spoken about. So I'm okay with it. There might be others who uh, disagree more and they're a bit annoyed. That's really useful. Thank you. I mean, I think um, it's something that we should all bear in mind, frankly, when we're, yeah. when we're talking about this kind of thing. Um, so so you mentioned that you you yourself are autistic. Yeah. Um, could you just explain how that impacts on you on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I'd love to. So I should add, it's a very Nathan thing to do here, or answering a question by asking another question. So I'm very fortunate that I'm, I've got a full-time job and a full-time wage. I've got a social life. I've got a Tottenham season ticket. Uh, and in my life, I have opportunities that other autistic people don't have. So I'm very, very fortunate that I have had the opportunity to uh, develop uh, and become what society defines as a more normal person, mm-hmm. whatever normal means. And it's not right, but by appearing more normal, I have had opportunities and experiences that other autistic people haven't had. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was, is that awful phrase, but obviously autistic, such as when I was at school, um, it made not very difficult. I mean, at school, things very difficult, and um, I probably bullied a bit by modern definitions of bullying. Um, I constantly felt as if I was weird and a bit odd and that my face didn't really fit and uh, I felt quite alien-like. Um, and there were constant sort of social faux pas and incidences where uh, I understood things differently or behaved differently to others and people's response wasn't always positive. Um, sort of One funny example, to uh, go back to football again, I remember once I was at school in, I think, a French lesson um, and you know what British schools are like. I mean, you're not, you're not really doing the work. You're just chatting nonsense, really, <laughs> and trying to waste time. And I remember once this guy I was chatting to said, "Right in French, there's this guy right. He knows everything there is to know about Arsenal, like everything. Ask me any Arsenal question, I'll get it right." I thought, okay, because I had the reputation already of being this sort of weirdo who knew everything about football. So I thought, all right, Arsenal fan. Well, I'll ask him a, a, a tough question to start. So. <laughs> I asked him, um, who did Arsenal lose to in the 1969 League Cup final? And everyone looked at me like, what? What are you on about? Like, oh, okay, tough crowd. Well, I'll ask an easier one. Who did Arsenal lose to in the 2000 UEFA Cup final? And no one knew that either. Uh, and what I've done there is that I've taken this chat completely seriously. Uh, when he said that this guy does everything he missed to know about Arsenal. Because of course he didn't. He probably just knew who Ellis Burkamp was or something. But I took him completely seriously because a very autistic trait is to misunderstand communication and to take things too literally. And because I've been reading Fever Pitch and that mentions uh, the 1969 League Cup final, I knew the result. Um, and also living in Enfield, which is a very. Um, Turkish Reconcipiate area, I knew about when Galatasaray beat Arsenal from the UEFA Cup. Um, and that's an example of where I embarrassed myself in front of others by misunderstanding what they truly meant. Um, and my life was sort of like that, really, um, until I was diagnosed aged 19. Because um, I went to university, had an awful time there, became basically a recluse, um, 
And at that point, I realised that there was something up, that I wasn't just a bit weird, there was something else at play. And eventually, I, I discovered what autism was and got, like, and got a diagnosis. Um, so these days, now I understand how my autism impacts me, I, beha- like, I adapt my behaviours accordingly. Uh, and these days, I think a lot of people, even friends of mine, don't really know I'm autistic, or if they do, uh, it's not a big deal to them. And in one way, it's really, really good. In another way, it's sad that I had to behave more normally for that to happen. Um, but even now, on a daily basis, I think uh, I'm quite an obsessive person. Uh, my behaviours are quite rigid. Um, my life is quite repetitive. Uh, and my social skills are quite good, but they're not like them to be. I mean, even on this podcast, it would probably detect slight differences in like, my speech patterns, uh, my cadence from my I talk. Um, so on a daily basis, like everything I do is impacted by autism to some degree. Um, people probably notice less than they used to, but it's still there and it always will be there. The way you describe it makes it sound like it would be really tiring. Like you're you're constantly having to rethink everything before yes. you say it and perform a part. Yeah, completely true. I mean, fatigue on a day-to-day basis is one of, is one of the toughest things I have to cope with. Um, just the constant thinking and the never-ending cycle of thoughts, actions, what should I do, what should I say, should I do this, should I do that? Because um, what I tend to do, I tend to try and copy others rather than try and work things out myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the time it's good, but a lot of the times it means I get things embarrassingly wrong and there are very basic things I get wrong, but also complex things I get right. So it's a constant cycle of them. I mean, to work harder, to get to the same level that everyone else is, um, if that makes sense. You know, I have to jump up that many more ladders just to reach the same level that people are at without even trying. So that's a very um, accurate observation to say it's tiring because it is. Mm. Uh, it sounds to me as though you are in the perfect job for you. You're you're an incredible spokesperson for this this charity. Um, can you tell us a bit about what the charity aims to do and what they hope to achieve? Yeah, sure. Thank you for the kind words there. Yeah, so the National Autistic Society this year we're celebrating our 60th anniversary. Um, so we founded the world's first ever autism-specific school uh, in the mid-60s. And we're 60 years old this year. And as a charity, our aims are to transform lives, change attitudes and create a society that works for autistic people. And the way we do that is that we do pretty much everything or we do everything we can to support autistic people. So we operate seven schools. There's 116 volunteer that marches across the UK. So in the UK, 70% of the population lives within 15 miles of a branch. So we offer great socialising opportunities through branches and our social groups. We operate employment programmes, residential care, day services. And also a lot of our best work is in uh, policy and campaigns. So we work very closely with members of parliament to try and get uh, laws passed so that autistic people can live with the rights and freedoms they deserve. So to give an example of the work we do there, uh, in lockdown, uh, there was a law that if you had COVID, you could not be accompanied to hospital by an adult. And for an autistic person, especially if you're non-verbal or if you, if you have difficulties communicating, that's an absolute nightmare. Mm-hmm. And we campaigned to get that law changed so that an autistic person could be accompanied by an adult to hospital if they had COVID. That's one thing we did. And another thing we did was that um, you were only allowed to leave the house for, I think it was one hour a day. And you can only leave the house once. 
And again, for an autistic person, especially as autistic people uh, tend to have a lot of mental health difficulties. And that's not because they're autistic, by the way. It's because the society we live in sort of use autistic people with mental health problems because they have to work so hard to fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and we got that law change that autistic people could leave the house more than once a day if they needed to. So that's what we do on the policy and campaign side. And otherwise, yeah, we have helplines, schools. And the one thing I encourage everyone to do is look at our website. So our website is www.autism.org.uk and everything's there. Uh, information, support, nearby services, uh, how you can help. I think we can help by sharing uh, charity content on, on social media, looking at our website, joining the branch, joining the campaign, uh, donating money, uh, raising money. Uh, there is so much people can do. Even if they're not autistic themselves, um, or if you are autistic yourself, or you think you might be, or you think a friend or relative might be, look at our website, it's all there. And if you want to support anyway, there's so much you can do, please check the website. Amazing. You you just preempted exactly what I was going to ask next, which was if this has resonated and someone's listening thinking, oh my goodness, that sounds like me, or that sounds like someone I know. Yeah, so yeah. So, so the answer is to go onto the website and, and have a read through about perhaps how you get a diagnosis. Yeah, please do. And also, um, and you already mentioned my Twitter handle, please contact me there. I'm more than happy to personally answer questions and queries because so often, because I'm like the autistic people that people actually know in their lives, so often like, I'll get the, uh, oh, I think my brother's autistic, I think my dad's autistic, um, can you help? I mean, I get that all the time and I'm more than happy to help anyone you know, who's in need here. So look at our website, contact me. Yeah, I'm not happy to help. That is that's incredibly generous of you, Jack. And um, yeah, yeah, we've been we've been tweeting one another for many years, uh, and I've read I've read your blog articles and things, so I sort of know how how generous and giving you are with with um, your time and with information. Uh, it's, this has been fascinating. I really really appreciate it. Um, thanks so much for kind of opening up to to me and to our listeners. Um, and wish you all the best with the with the charity and and with everything. Thank you. Cheers. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, D Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. 